Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to finish Proverbs 3 tonight, Lord willing. I think we're looking pretty good on it. I've been studying chapter 4, and I'm excited for chapter 4. So I'm not trying to push chapter 3 out the, out the window, but I'm excited to get to chapter 4. So I have the, the benefit of being able to study ahead and see where we're going, and I'm, it gets me pretty excited sometimes. Proverbs 3. And we're going to cover verses 27 through 35. Proverbs 3, 27 through 25. Okay, 35. The Bible says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the forward is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of of fools. Amen. So we're looking at uh, chapter 3. We're going to get some insights on foolishness tonight. We're going to get some insights on foolishness. Verse 27, let's start there. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. So the first few verses we have an admonition to support the poor. That's what he's talking about. This puts action to our command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Remember that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You cannot love God without putting action to it. Okay? Uh, we, we, we covered it this morning. We talked about it a lot. So many people claim to love God. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't share the gospel. How do you love God? How do you love God? Love is an action, Right? If I tell my wife I love you, but I don't show that, my words don't mean much to her, right? If I, if I say I love you, but I'm going to be mean to you all the time, I'm going to mistreat you, I'm going to ignore you, right? She says that to me, I love you, but she never shows it. Her words are meaningless. I'm not going to take comfort in those words. We need to show, right? So we say, I love God. How do you love God? There's got to be a, a real, tangible way that we love God. There are ways to do that, by the way. We, we love God by praying. We love God by reading the Bible. We love God by meditating on the Scripture. We love God by worshiping Him. Publicly, in church, privately, by ourselves or with our families. We love God by giving. We love God. There's, there are, are visible, tangible ways to love God. And when someone comes along and says, I love God, but I don't do the church thing, there's a problem there. That's like saying, I love my wife, but I don't, I don't do the husband thing. It's not me. You know. No, there's got to be, if I love her, there's got to be a way I show that love. And so the command is twofold. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means loving our neighbor as ourselves has to have a visible, tangible expression of love. We can't just say it and not do it. 
It's played out in action. The second admonition we're going to see is not to emulate or copy the example of fools. So put action to our claim to love our neighbors and don't emulate the fool. Don't be like the fool. That's our message tonight. In verse 27, he's telling his son to help the poor. When it's in your power or ability to help somebody in need, then do it. That's how you love the, your neighbor. How do I love my neighbor, Pastor? Do, you have, do they need help? Do you have the ability to help? You know what people did yesterday when they came down here and helped unload a truck? They loved their neighbor as themselves. And they demonstrated it in action. See, I, I went to, a, when I was growing up in a church, uh, my mom was a single mom with the two of us, and uh, we, we had to move. We couldn't afford our apartment. We're being kicked out. We had to, we had, we're down to the deadline to move. And we, we went to a church with 150 people on Sunday, 200 people Sunday mornings. A big church, good-sized church. And they claimed to love one another. And when my mom tried to get help to move, nobody showed up. It was her and two teenagers trying to move carloads of stuff to move an entire house. Nobody showed up. My mom finally, as we came down to the waning hours of the evening trying to get stuff moved, called the pastor and tears in her voice, asking for some kind of help. And he called. He didn't come. But he called two other people to come. And they showed up with the attitude of, all right, we're here. What do you need? Let's get this over with. They weren't loving their neighbor. They were claiming to love. They would say, oh, we're a loving church. But they weren't demonstrating love. To demonstrate love, we give of ourselves. We lay down our lives for one. That's how you demonstrate love. That's how you demonstrate love for God. You lay down your life. You surrender your life to Christ. Someone who lives for themselves and claims to love God is lying. I remember that one time, I think I told you the story, I was... I was uh, trying to fly back in from a, a, a trip uh, preaching out of state, and my ride fell through. I called. It was Memorial Day, I think it was, or Labor Day. No, I think it was Labor Day. I called and tried to get someone to come down to L.A. to pick me up at the airport. I got nose. Nose, 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 nose. One guy, not just a guy, but on staff at the church, took the time to tell me, I'm not going to be able to help you, but I think it's unfair of you to ask us to sacrifice our family time on a holiday to come help you. A gospel preacher said that. Listen, we need to love in action. I remember when I was a teenager, I had left the church my mom went to and went to the church where my Christian school was at. And uh, Bakersfield is a very, very big, spread out city. And so from where I lived, it was probably a 25-minute drive to the church, roughly, each way. When I went to that church, I learned what it was to love your neighbors yourself. People who lived by the church drove 25 minutes across town to pick me up and 25 minutes back to the church. And then after church, drove 25 minutes back across town to drop me off and 25 minutes back to get themselves home. And they did this for two years. I never heard a grumble. I never heard a complaint. 
And if a ride fell through, somebody else jumped in and called me up and said, hey, I heard they can't make it. Do you need a ride tonight? That was loving your neighbor as yourself. There was action to it. They had the ability to help. I, was, I didn't have a license. I was 16, 17 years old. They had the ability to help. That's what he's talking about here. Don't withhold help when it's in your ability to do it. If you have the ability to help somebody in need, you help them, and that's how you demonstrate you love them. Same thing goes for God, loving God. You're not loving your neighbor if you heap good things on yourselves while your neighbor is in need. That's what he's saying here. If I live in luxury while my neighbor goes hungry, I'm in sin. I'm not loving my neighbor. I know you're familiar with it, but turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. First John 3, we're going to look at verses 16 through 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Christ laid down his life for us. We claim to have received that love, but we're not giving that love to others. That's what he's talking about here. You see your brother or your sister have need, and you shut your compassion on them. You who have claimed to have received compassion from God, you shut that compassion off from your brother or sister in need. How does the love of God dwell in that person? That's what he's saying. How can somebody who has tasted the love of God not return that love to others? It's impossible to have partaken of the love of God and not have love to share with others. And he says, let us not love in word or in tongue. And what he's saying there is not merely in word or tongue, right? But indeed in truth. He's not saying it's okay. To, as long as you help your neighbor, it's okay to badmouth you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't love merely in word or in tongue, but also in deed. Help them. Can you imagine if everyone just called me up yesterday and just said, oh, we hope you get it all unloaded. We're praying for you. And nobody came to help. That would have taken us six hours. I wouldn't have felt very loved. Your brother or sister comes and they're in need. And you say, oh, good luck. That's not the love of God. God demonstrated love. By laying down his life for us. We're not to love our neighbor only in word, but also in action. Love for the poor was a mark of early Christianity. Okay? It's slipped today, hasn't it? We're not even compassionate among our own people these days, are we? I mean, among Christians. We don't have very much love for our own people. Much less others. The early Christian Eusebius recorded that during a plague, all day long, some of them, meaning the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread, 
to them all. The last pagan emperor, Julian, wrote this. When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, meaning the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They supported not only their own poor, but ours as well. That was testimony from a pagan of the early Christians. They were known for their love. They demonstrated their love for one another and for others who were not even among their company. Christians need to be willing to share and distribute what they have with those in need. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. Seventeen through nineteen. First Timothy six, seventeen through nineteen. Bible says, Charge them that are rich in this world, they be not high minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Those with wealth in this life are commanded to share it. They're laying up a good foundation and a good eternal inheritance. You say, well, I'm not rich. So that doesn't apply to me. Okay, let me, let me bring it down and apply it. If you have more than somebody else who's in need, by this scripture standard, you have wealth. You don't hoard it. You help people. That's what it's commanded. This is, this is, you say, this is pretty practical. This is pretty practical Christianity right here. Give to those in need. Don't uh, make others go without because you don't want to share with somebody. Uh, Corey Tinboom told the story, I think it may have been in the hiding place, about how they'd have guests, people who were in need would come to their house and share meals and stay there, especially when they were hiding the Jews. They would take in more and more people. And she mentioned that at some points the, the soup got pretty thin. In other words, they were just eating water, but they never turned anybody away from their home. Even though it meant they had less food to eat. They didn't turn people away. Why? Because they were Christians. And nobody had to tell them to not turn somebody away. That's just what a Christian does. They share what they have because they recognize what they have is a gift from God that they've received freely. I know it's cliche, but we can't forget Matthew 6, 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm not saying don't have money in your bank account. But I'm saying don't store money as your means of safety. Trust the Lord. If somebody's in need and you have the means, by all means, meet the need. Trust the Lord. Then you're laying up treasure where it can never be stolen. It can never corrupt. It can never rot. The stock market can't affect it. The markets of this world can't affect it. It doesn't matter who's got the economy or how good the economy is going. Our treasure's in heaven. Wealth hoarded is wealth wasted. Turn to Ecclesiastes 2. Ecclesiastes 2.
Ecclesiastes 2, 17 through 21. 2, 17 through 21. The Bible says, Therefore I hated life. This is Solomon. The man who had everything hated life. If you think things will bring you happiness, read Ecclesiastes. If you think power and position and fame will bring you happiness, read Ecclesiastes. He hated life. Why? Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have the rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. He to a man that hath not labored, therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and great evil. Solomon's like, I'm just going to keep all this and hoard all this, and I'm going to leave it to somebody who comes after me who's a fool and wastes it all. That's true. I've seen that. I've seen Christians die with large bank accounts. Leave their families hundreds of thousands of dollars in life insurance. And those kids wasted in less than a year. They're broke. They spent a lifetime earning that money in less than a year. It's gone. It's gone. I'm not making a bid for you to leave all your money to the church. I'm just giving you some facts. I've seen Christians who left money to the church. Do you think in heaven they regret that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I know one church that received a, a, a person in the church received their life savings when they died. They had no children to leave it to. They left it all to the church. It's 20 years ago. The church today is still benefiting from the money they received from that saint who left it to them. I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody who received an inheritance from their parents 20 years later. They still have it. Never. It's wasted. In other words... It's okay to have money in your bank account, but be ready to help those in need. Don't hoard it. There's no reason to. Some of these mega churches, if they're saved, these pastors are going to eternity. Or they're, they're, you know, the Lord's going to come back one day. And they've got millions of dollars in the bank with languages still without the gospel. Poor people still without food and shelter. Missionaries still unsupported. And they think they're going to waltz in there and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No, they're going to hear you wasted it. You had resources to spread the gospel and you hoarded it all. It's all a bank account and nobody any good. I was in a church a number of years ago. I think I may have told the story before, but we were on the verge of closing down. I mean, it was bad. Church was greatly in debt. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in mortgage owed. Church was shrinking, and we came to find out that an usher was stealing money from the church. Is why we didn't have money, because they were stealing it. But at this point, we didn't know that. And so I was, I was on the trustee committee. We are meeting about the finances. And the question came up, this church over here, the pastor had gone to their Bible college. They had a big church. They donated some stuff to, I think, some pews or some stuff to the church. He said, man, they got millions in the bank. Couldn't they help us out a little bit? 
In fact, I said in the meeting, they could actually pay off our mortgage and not even notice it come out of their account. They have so much money. The pastor said back, he goes, that's, that's not their job. This is our problem. I told him, I said, pastor, that's not a Christian point of view. We are to bear one another's burdens. Yes. Hey, if we have a million dollars in the bank church and another church of like faith needs help, by golly, we're going to help them. Because that's what Christians do. That's how you love your neighbor. It's, well, it's not their pro- it is their problem if they're Christians. It's all of our problems. If I've got money in the bank and Gloria and Ruben are going to lose their home, that's my problem. That's not their problem. That's my problem. If there's somebody in our church who doesn't have food, that's my problem. That's your problem. Because we're a family. Don't withhold that which somebody needs when it's right there with you. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not being obedient to the gospel. You're shutting up your bowels of compassion. How dwells the love of God in you then? Like Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Let's continue on before I get too carried away in that. Say, Pastor, do you believe that? I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Back to my stories of bad churches I've been to. I went to a church in my early 20s. It's actually where the Lord saved me. I'd been a false convert growing up, and then the Lord saved me in my early 20s. I was at this church where I, I firmly believe, looking back, the pastor was not truly a believer. Most of the church was not truly believers. And uh, I, was, uh, I, I, was, I was... I was very poor at the time. I was... Uh, um, been through some hard times in my life at that point, as you do when you're in sin, it's getting back kind of into church, getting things back on track. I worked a job uh, overnight, and then I worked at the church's Christian school in order to rent. Uh, they had a house on the church property that I rented a room from. So my, my, my rent was working in the school. So I'd work all night and then work all day in the school. And I was very tired <laughs> during those couple of years. But my mom, she, during that time, became unable to work but had a long, several years battle with the government to get disability. So I was, and the reason I worked at the school to pay my rent was because I took all of my paycheck and sent it to her. So I had, I, I lived off of $20 every two weeks to buy my food, and I rationed my food out. I was skinnier then, believe it or not. And I was at this church, and I didn't own a car, I rode a bike five miles each way to work at night, just sending money. The church knew how I was living, how I sent my money to her, and Thanksgiving came around. This isn't a pity story, but nobody invited me to their house for Thanksgiving. I sat alone in my room eating a turkey TV dinner, but they came to me the next day. Didn't invite me to their table, join their family. They came to me the next day, two different families, came to me the next day at my house, at the church, knocked on my door, said, oh, we want to show love to you, brother. Here's some of our leftovers for you. I told them, I said, thank you. I'll take them. But I'd rather have shared the fellowship with you guys yesterday. How dwells the love of God when we have it by us? 
When you, one of those families, I said, you had an empty chair at your table. I know that. You had an empty chair. If it's by us, if it's within our ability to help somebody, and we don't help somebody, we are not loving God. And we're not loving our neighbor. Let me get off that before I get too carried away now. Verse 28. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give thee when thou hast it by thee. This verse is very much in the same thought as the previous one on being generous. The last one was about withholding help to the poor and not giving it, while this one is about making people wait for help. This is procrastination in helping. This is not loving your neighbor as yourself. We tell our kids, delayed obedience is disobedience. We tell you to do something, you need to do it now. Delayed obedience. So if you have the ability to help somebody and you delay your help, you're still being disobedient. You're still being disobedient. Give generously when the need arises. Don't make someone have to come back again. Demonstrate compassion immediately when there's a need. Verse 29. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't do evil to them by lying to them when you have the means to help at your disposal. This verse is linked to the other two. The reference to dwelling securely by thee means he trusts you or has confidence that you will help. He comes to you because he believes that you will help and you don't help. Your neighbor in need comes to you and trusts that you'll do something for them. You withhold that or you tell them, well, I I can't do it right now. Come back later. Maybe you're sinning against your neighbor. Help them right away. This is the proper way to love your neighbor. Verse 30, strive not with a man without cause if he have done thee no harm. The principle here I think is pretty clear. Don't pick fights. So we're moving on from money now to action. Don't withhold help from your neighbor. If you have the ability to help, help them. And by the way, church, if you have a need, share your needs. People can help you. That's part of it. I'll be honest, you're not loving your neighbor if you have a need and you don't tell your neighbor. That's how we bless one another. Let it be known. It's not your problem. Oh, my money problems are my problem. No, your money problems are our problem. We are a family. Remember that. But now he moves into action towards the neighbor. Don't start fights. Be kind. Be gentle. This is not an argument against self-defense. Notice he says... If he had done thee no harm. Okay? I think there are guidelines that should govern physical violence. The world does not follow these guidelines, do they? Today, people pick fights for any reason. Someone looks at you the wrong way. I'm going to beat him up. I don't like the way he looked. People do that. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? He loves the way he looks at me. I'm going to beat him up. That, That kind of stuff goes on in our world. Not for a Christian. Jealousy. Boy, jealousy brings on fights, doesn't it? It shouldn't for the Christian. Road rage. How about that one? How many people die? I should have looked it up. From road rage. He cut me off. She cut me off. How dare they cut me off? There was a story that came out uh, maybe a year or two ago. I'm not justifying anybody in this situation, but this guy, he cuts this lady off on a freeway. Who does he think he is? So she follows him, and she, she's going to let him have it. Problem is, he has a gun, and he shoots and kills her five-year-old in the car. 
So who's at fault? Both of them. He cut you off. Let it go. Let it go. Christian, it's not worth it. Let it go. And for him, someone was going to yell at you, don't shoot at their car. Someone tailgate you, someone's angry, let them be angry. Don't, don't, don't be angry with that. Don't be violent towards people. There are Christians, man. Christians, I've seen people who profess faith in Christ and their, their first instinct is to get violent or to get physical with people. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself. You know how you love your neighbor? Be peaceful. Be gentle. That might mean you lose something. <clears throat> That's okay. That might mean that you're a doormat for them. That's okay. We're not going to pick fights. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a dry throat there. If a Christian is, is to employ physical violence, then biblical standards need to be followed. If a person does, did not harm you, then you have no reason for physical violence. We should not be quarrelsome or aggressive people. You cannot love your neighbor and be a quarrelsome or aggressive person. Verse 31, 32. Envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways, for the forward is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The oppressor is the violent man from the previous verse. Don't be envious. Don't want to be like him. The principle here is don't look at the envy with, uh, the wicked with envy. We need to teach our young people. Don't look at violent people. I want to be like that guy. He doesn't take nothing from nobody. Be careful with that. Our Lord was kind and gentle, even to those who physically abused him. Don't envy the wicked. <clears throat> Don't follow their pattern of life. This is not just a violent person. This is a wicked person. I mentioned before, when I was a young person, I saw the, the bad kids. I wanted to be their friend. I wanted them to like me. So I would emulate what they did. I'm 41 now. About half of them are dead. Died in their 20s and 30s from drug overdoses, DUIs, and bar fights. Looking back now, I don't want to be like them, seeing their end. But the Bible, the warning there is, even before you see their end, don't want to be like the wicked. Their end is destruction. Don't envy the wicked. Don't emulate them. Don't be like the fool. There was a, an actor back in the 70s and 80s, real famous. You might know the name. His name was John Belushi. And he yeah. was one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live. And he, he died of a drug overdose. And uh, there was another actor who came along later named Chris Farley who envied John Belushi. I was listening to a podcast the other day and John Belushi's brother Jim was talking about Chris Farley and he says, I called him up. I told him, don't look at my brother at the party. Look at my brother in the coffin. 
Don't envy him because you'll end up like him. Don't do it. Jim's not even a Christian. But this is biblical wisdom. So you're looking at the party guy my brother was. But look at what happened to him. Chris Farley sadly didn't heed the advice. And he died in an eerily similar situation to John Belushi. Overdosed in almost the exact same way and died at like 24 years old. I'm sure today, looking back from hell, he would say, don't be envious of the wicked. Don't seek to be like them. The righteous are in an intimate communion with God. That's the meaning of his secret is with the righteous. Seek to know and commune with God. Don't seek the approval or friendship of the wicked. Their path leads only to destruction. Seek to know God. Seek God's approval on your life. The wicked are an abomination to him. Verse 33. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. Be blessed the habitation of the just. Why shouldn't we envy the wicked? Here's the answer. The curse of the Lord is in their house. He, the Lord, blesses the habitation of the just. Follow after and emulate righteous people who have the blessing of God, rather than the wicked who are under his curse. This reminds me of 1 John 2, 15-17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know why God's saying don't love the world? It's Here's a spoiler for you. It's not because he's a killjoy. It's not because he doesn't want us to have fun. He says, don't love the world, because if you do, the love of God is not in you. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot hold the hand of the Son of God and the hand of the world at the same time. And the world is perishing. And those who love it perish with it. John is not saying, don't love the world, because, you know, all the fun's over the... You ever see these, these churches, my wife and I talk about all the time, these churches that, that we don't believe in Halloween, so come to our harvest festival, right? We're going to replace, and you, they'll use that term, replace. We're going to replace this with this over here, okay? When you say that, what you're telling, the, what you're telling your children is, that's really good and fun, and we're taking the fun away from you, so we're going to replace that fun with something else. That's the message you're sending, Oh, we're, trying, we're ruining your fun, so let's replace it with something fun. No, you're not ruining their fun, okay? Those who love the world will perish with the world. So John says, don't love the world because I don't want you to perish. You know why I'm preaching this stuff? About loving your neighbor and helping those in need and don't envy the, the, the wicked because the wicked are perishing, don't envy them or you'll perish with them. Don't emulate them or you'll go on the same path of destruction. I've seen the end of the wicked. It's in the Bible. And their end is destruction. Don't want to be like them. Those who love God and do his will, they abide forever. You know why John says don't love the world? The other things are in the world? 
Because he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. John's not a killjoy. He's got eternity in view. When I was 13, 14, trying to emulate these bad kids, I didn't have eternity in view. I should have, but I didn't. Largely because I didn't have a church that had eternity in view. That was a problem. Let's go on. Verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. God scorns the scorners. I love that. He mocks the wicked and their plans. Psalm 2, 1 through 4. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sit in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. I mean, they, this is a prophecy of the crucifixion, right? They're gathered. They're like, we've got him now. We're going to kill him. And God, he sits in the heavens and he laughs. Are you kidding me? You've disarmed yourself. You've given him victory. The wicked of this world. I mean, Christians have been so weird lately with this COVID stuff. They're all worried about the great reset. They're all worried about what's these evil people are plotting against society. I don't care. God laughs at them. Well, they're trying to overthrow the Christian worldview. They never will. They're trying to overthrow God. They, they, they can't reach him. He laughs at them. Don't be one that God laughs at. Don't join with the wicked. He mocks the scorner because he knows the end. <coughs> but he gives grace to the lowly, to the humble, to the contrite. He mocks the scorner. But he gives grace to those who humble themselves. Those who humble themselves will be exalted just as Christ humbled himself and was exalted. Verse 35, the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Those who follow the path of wisdom will inherit glory. The path of fools, as we have seen, is death and destruction. So a few takeaways as we conclude this. Christian, don't be quarrelsome or violent. Be gentle and lowly. Be meek. You know what meekness is? It's not weakness. It's power under control. That's the best definition I've ever heard. In other words, Christ was meek because he could have wiped them out, but he didn't. It's power under control. We need to have our spirits under control. Violence is the response of not having control of your spirit. Don't be a quarrelsome person. There's time, listen, there's time to stand for what's right. There is. But don't be quarrelsome. We've got situations right now that are, Jason knows, that are maddening with property. Let's not be quarrelsome. We still love them, don't we? So let's not be quarrelsome. We may lose some stuff. That's okay. God's in control. But we're not going to be quarrelsome. Somebody was to fight with you, don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. A Christian wants to pick a fight in the church with you, be kind. Be gentle. A soft answer turns away wrath. 
Don't envy the wicked, Christian. Don't look at the wicked with envy and say, oh, I wish I was like them. No, you don't. Their end is destruction. Humble yourself and seek the path of wisdom. Be generous to your neighbors in need. Love in action, not in word only. If somebody has a need and you can fill it, fill it. Do something. Be giving. Don't hoard for yourself. All this stuff I'm giving you, this is basic Christianity. But it's opposite from how the world thinks, don't they? It's opposite. The world would not say, don't be quarrelsome. They'd say, oh, they disrespect you, you get them back. No. No. I'm willing to be disrespected to demonstrate the love of God towards somebody. Be generous. Be kind. Love what's righteous. That is walking the path of wisdom. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord, and for our chance to be in the Word, Lord. I know this is all basic stuff we went over tonight, just reminders to us. Lord, help us here, our church, our folks. I can't, I can't speak for the rest of the churches, but for our church. Let us not be quarrelsome people. We're not fighters, not because we're weak, but because we serve a powerful God. You fight for us. We want to stand for what's right. We're going to stand for what's right, but we're not going to be quarrelsome people. We're going to be kind, gentle people. Help us to love the poor, to love those in need, to share with those in need. Those early Christians. I remember reading the Romans were polygamous and polyamorous and had orgies. And one guy said to the Christians, they share their table, but not their wives. In other words, they're not like us, but they're generous, they're kind. Give us the spirit that Corey Ten Boom's family has that says, if we eat less, somebody's going to eat. If we have the ability to help somebody, we're going to help somebody. Let there not be a need in our church that goes unmet by somebody else. Teach us not to hoard this world's good to ourselves while others go without it was said of the early Christians during a famine that some would go without food. They would fast so that those without any food could have food that day. I'm challenged in my spirit. Let that be us. Help us not to envy the wicked, not to want to be like them. There's a curse on their house, their path leads to destruction. Give us an envious for, enviousness for righteousness, for holiness, 
for eternity, Lord. Let us live with eternity in view. I think a lot of this stuff, Lord, the, the giving and the quarrelsomeness, if we live with eternity in view, a lot of that takes care of itself. Take our eyes off of this world and put it on the world to come. And may we live, Lord. Give us strength and power to live in light of that world. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us, your grace, your mercy. You're so kind. May your love fill us. May your love be the motivation for everything that we do and everything that we say. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed.